Hey, everybody. How about that Cincinnati weather? I think that I heard some use the word bipolar to describe it. Does that seem accurate to everyone? (laughs) Yeah. So again, my name is Luke. I serve here in a number of different ways. And if this is your very first time, I want to tell you again, just thank you so much for being here. We are so happy that you chose to be here with us this morning. Just uh, get comfortable and enjoy yourself. And one thing about me, if you really knew me, one thing you would know is that I am not very good at letting go of old things to step into new things. Okay? I like to find that one thing that I love and just stay with that thing forever. Anyone like me in this room? For example, for example, you may have thought, wow, he hasn't bought new shoes in like six years. If you, if you really, you know, if you've seen me multiple times and you'd be half right. Actually, I've just bought the exact same kind of shoe, black and white Vans for six years now. And I don't know why I keep all of my old pairs of shoes on this like shelf downstairs. It's kind of like a little shrine or memorial to the Vans. And uh, another fun fact about that, it has nothing to do with my message or it is nothing spiritual, but I, for the longest time, thought I was a size 12 when it came to my Vans. And it was always weird because I would buy my size 12 Vans shoes and then right where my two big toes are, little holes would start to emerge. And so I was just thinking, wow, like these Vans right towards up where the toes are, the material must get weaker or something. There's, But this pair that I currently am wearing, I bought 13s. And what do you know? The holes don't come. So it's not the Vans. It was actually me. But yeah, and I had a fr- couple of friends who bought me these really nice Clark boots a couple of years ago. Like they are awesome and very stylish and I wear them like two times a year just because I don't like changing. I don't like stepping into new for the old, you know, I like my old and some other stuff that some other old stuff, TV shows. I'm not a big movie person. Movies feel like too much of a commitment for me. If I'm being honest, <laughs> It's like when I sit down, I want to relax and turn my brain off. I don't want to be like engaged in this thing. And so I like watching sitcoms and my three favorite of all time are The Office, Seinfeld, and Everybody Loves Raymond. Not in any particular order. Yeah, you can clap for those. It's a good shows. Those are my shows and those are my go-to when I'm like after a long day of work and I'm tired, I want to rest. One of those three shows is, is what I go to. And my best friend, Wilson, God God bless him. He tries so hard to broaden my horizons when it comes to TV shows. Like, and it's not even just, Hey, I I started watching this show and it's really cool. It's like, Hey, I started watching this show and I know you and everything I know about you. This is why I know you're going to love this show. And he'll, it'll sound convincing. It'll sound really good. Like he'll really persuade me. But then four hours later, I'll be home and sitting on my couch and choosing what to watch and I'll kind of have my two options and office every time and Seinfeld every time. Cause I like my thing, you know, I don't like too much change. And speaking of that, something that I've learned about uh, my wife, Jamie is that she's a little different from me. You see, I have this one snack that I've eaten probably since for the last 20 years. And it's my go-to snack, reduced fat cheese. It's 
And you're like, why reduce fat? Like, that's weird. They taste better. I'm serious. Like, they do. They are saltier. They're more burnt in a good way. The fat can be good. So these are, this is like my snack. And when I run out of my Cheez-Its, I simply go to Kroger. And I don't really think about getting a new snack. Like, who does that? I just go and get a box of Cheez-Its. And so when Jamie and I got married, I, she would like pick a snack out and I'd see that she picked it out. I'm like, I'm going to be a good husband. I'm going to go and get her that snack when it runs out. And so I go get her the snack when it runs out, I'll get my snack. And then the next time our snacks run out, I go get my Cheez-Its. I go get her thing again. And eventually she just had to tell me like, babe, I can't eat the same thing over and over again. Like you do. Like I need some variety. You got to change it up. And I was like, huh, variety. Interesting concept. But yeah, I like, I like what I like. I like my comfort zone. I like what I've always had. I don't like a whole lot of change when it comes to things like that. But in relationship with God, you absolutely have to leave the old behind in order to step into the new. You can't be like me and your don't be like me in your relationship with God. Okay. In that way, you know, you have to leave the old behind to step into the new life. And we think that that's only a one-time thing that, oh, when you first heard about Jesus and first met him and realized his love for you, that you made the decision to leave the old behind and step into the new. And that's true. You became a new person, a new creation when you accepted Jesus And really what you were realizing is that this old way of life anymore just isn't cutting it anymore. It took me 19 years. It's taken other people less time or more time. But we realized, man, I just can't find meaning. I can't find purpose. I can't find joy in this old life. I need something new. I need Jesus. And so we make that decision. But it's not just a one-time decision. Like that's the beginning of an entire lifetime of leaving the old behind and stepping into the new. So Jesus talks about this in the, uh, in a book in the Bible called the gospel of Mark. And I want to just read you a passage from there. And before I read it, I'd love just to share with you a little bit of what was going on. So Jesus, he was this amazing teacher. He was this amazing miracle worker and everyone knew him as those things. Um, They would later find out that he was God in the flesh, but this is how the people knew him early on as an amazing teacher, one with authority as a miracle worker. And so he's gathering crowds everywhere. He's supernaturally multiplying loaves of bread and he's healing people and he's doing, casting out demons, doing all this stuff. So he eventually has got these 12 main dudes that are following him. Like these are the main guys that he is training and doing life with and developing relationships with. And they kind of follow him around everywhere that he goes. So one, at one moment when they're walking along a road to their next destination, he turns around and he asks them a question. He says to his 12 guys, Hey, who do people say that I am? And they had kind of learned that when Jesus would stop them and out of the blue ask them a question like that, that he's getting to some really important point. And so they're glued in. And by the way, when you are praying or when you're spending time with God or maybe during worship or maybe at any point, really, if you hear God ask you a question kind of out of the blue like that, be ready because he's about to do something powerful in your life. 
And so anyways, he asks them this question and the, who do people say that I am? And they give some answers. They're not really quite right. And then he flips it, kind of takes it up a notch and he says, but who do you think that I am? And they kind of get quiet. You see, they had answered wrong many times before and they kind of learned like, you know, when he asks stuff like this, just don't even try to get it right. Just wait for him to tell us. And so they're, I can kind of imagine like they're silent. They're kind of looking around. Maybe John's like, can you rephrase that question a little bit? Who do we think? But then Peter blurts it out in a moment of boldness. He says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus in front of all of the other 11, he praises Peter and says, you get it, Peter. You've answered well. And then he talks about Peter's destiny and all the amazing things he's going to do. And so at this point, Peter's feeling kind of good about himself, you know, kind of confident. Like, yeah, you know, those 11 back there, they're all afraid, but I'm starting to get it. I'm starting to understand what he means when he says these things that he says and he asks these questions that he asks. So I can imagine Peter getting a little confident, maybe a little cocky and kind of is maybe not being too subtle about the fact that, hey, I got the question right. You got none of you ever get the question right, but I got the question right. And so then Jesus goes into his very next teaching. He tells him, hey, guys, so I'm going to die soon. And, um, and the, the Jews are going to hand me over to the Romans and they're going to execute me. But don't worry, after I die, three days later, I'm going to resurrect from the dead and do some other stuff. And Peter decides to take a moment to rebuke Jesus. Okay, let me just tell you. If you ever think, huh, should I rebuke Jesus right now? Not a good thing to do. And so I get to see him kind of putting his arm around Jesus and walking him away from the other 11 and be like, hey, man, so I know you're worried about um, going to Jerusalem. And I know you're worried about the Pharisees and the religious leaders and how they hate you and stuff. But you're not going to die like the Messiah doesn't isn't supposed to die. We are, didn't I get it right? You're the Messiah. And we know the Messiah is not going to die. You're going to be all right. You're scaring the other 11. I can take it, but, you know, they have a little weaker hearts. So, I'm, of course, I'm ad-libbing. It's not in there, but I'd, I like to imagine it that way. And so, Peter's kind of like, all right, come on. Like, I got you right now. I can be there for you, but let's take back that dying stuff. And so, Jesus responds and, uh, well, let's just read it. So, if you want to turn to Mark 8 with me. It's going to be on the screen, so you don't need to have a Bible. But if you want one, turn to Mark 8 with me. We're going to read verses 33 through 37. Here we go. Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples, then reprimanded Peter. Pause. Peter kind of had a quick up and a quick down. Get away from me, Satan, he said. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Then, calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your own soul? So yeah, Peter goes from, you know, getting praised by Jesus to being called Satan. 
kind of, like I said, kind of a quick up and a quick down. But um, Jesus says some really important things here. And what he's really getting at is that when we start following him, there are old things we just have to leave behind. We just have to. And if we find out a year into our faith, 10 years into our faith, 15 years into our faith, whatever point into our faith, if we find out, wow, there's still, still some old things I'm holding on to. We have to let those things go. And so the first point, kind of statement that Jesus makes that I want to talk about is this one. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view. You see, there's a human way to look at things, and then there's a godly way to look at things in our lives. And not only that, but there's also a natural world that we can see with our physical eyes, but there's also a spiritual world that takes spiritual eyes to see. There is the natural and the supernatural. There is the seen and the unseen. In fact, the Apostle Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 17 and 18. This is what he says. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. When we start following Jesus, one of the commitments we're making is that my actions and my attitude cannot only be influenced by what I see and by the natural world, but that my actions and my attitude now are influenced by God's perspective and by the spiritual world. I remember Years ago, when I first kind of felt a call to ministry, I was in college, was not expecting it at, at all. I was going to college for business to kind of follow in my dad's footsteps. He's a businessman. He's also a pastor early on in his life, so I still ended up following in his footsteps. And I remember feeling this call to ministry and didn't really know how it was going to pan out. I wasn't going to a seminary or a Christian college, but I just felt like it was what I was supposed to be doing. So my first kind of big break, when you think about like leading up to where I am now was I got asked to lead a high school small group at the church that I grew up in. And I love this church that I grew up in. I was there for 13 years and um, I went through that youth ministry. And so getting asked to come and lead a small group of that youth ministry, oh my gosh, it was such an honor. So I was so excited for that. Then a year went by and after really seeing a lot of fruit and a lot of just good things happening in that small group, year went by and then the senior director of the youth ministry asked me to be an intern at the youth ministry. And oh my gosh, like I was so pumped when I got asked to be an intern. So I immediately took the job and started interning and it's looking like, wow, you know, I'm not super close to working in ministry yet, but I'm starting to make my way there. Well, then fast forward to that my last year of college, I was going to Miami University, and my last year of college, I'm interning, I'm going to Miami University, and this thing called house group has started. House group was a bunch of my friends and I who were all in our uh, 
early 20s, didn't really feel like we could find community for our age group anywhere. We had great community when we were in high school, but we hadn't really found it anywhere else. And so we just started meeting together, reading the Bible, praying and worshiping. And pretty soon, a bunch of other people came to it too. We'd never meant to start anything. We, we started something on accident. So house groups going on. My last year of college, interning at the church, you can say my life was pretty busy at that point in time. And so I was like getting up at five every morning, disciplining myself to go to bed at nine o'clock. All the house group people started calling me grandpa because of that, because I'd go to bed so early. early. And, and in April of 2013, so this is, this is when all this stuff's going on, I get approached by the high school pastor of where I was interning. And he's like, hey, Lou, guess what? You have been doing such a good job here with all the stuff you're doing. I can see um, there's opportunity for you, and we want to give you a job here in July. And I, like, I couldn't even contain my excitement when he told me that they wanted to give me a job. This is the church that I grew up in. I had felt this call to ministry but had no clue how it was going to happen. And ever since I started interning, I was dreaming that I could work with the youth ministry. And so I was just like elated and it was April. I was going to graduate that December. So I've been really worried. Like I got these student loans that are going to be coming and I don't know if I'm going to be able to work in ministry. I might just have to get the first job that I can to pay off my loans. But this just was like everything that I had dreamed of for the last five years of my life. And so I'm so pumped. He says, we're going to start you in July. Like in July, you're going to officially come on to youth ministry staff. And so next couple months go by and I just cannot wait for July to come. You know, I wasn't getting paid at all at that point in time, but I knew that July was coming. And so I, so like July 1st at 8am, I get there early and I'm just like excited. I'm expecting them to come in with like a paper for me to sign and like a job description and doesn't come on the first day. So I'm like, okay, well maybe it'll just be here tomorrow or whatever. And so then about a week goes by and I go to the pastor. I'm like, hey, man, like, it's July. I thought we had a deal. I was like, hey, don't worry about it. The budget's kind of complicated right now. We're still figuring a couple of things out. But like August, for sure, it's going to happen. And so I'm like, oh, okay. Well, it's kind of bummed and excited for July. But at least August, I've got plenty of time before I graduate in December. I can start saving up to, to live out, you know, not a college life. And so get through July and then comes August 1st. Again, I'm there early. I'm excited. I have a, I'm a little less expecting because of what happened in July, but I'm really thinking it's going to happen this time. So that first day of August, nothing week goes by. Second week goes by. I go to the pastor. I'm like, Hey, um, like it's like halfway through August. Like I thought we said August and he's like, Hey, I know, I'm sorry, we're still just figuring things out, but we're going to get you on here as soon as we can. And so I'm really bummed because it was like, I thought it was July and then I thought it was August. And now it's like, there's not even a day. It's like, as soon as we can, I'm like, man, um, but I'm still holding out hope because like, Hey, don't worry. Like we're going to get you on here before you graduate. Like it's going to happen. And so then September went by nothing. October went by, nothing. I'm going into November and I'm really starting to get afraid. I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do to make money. And I don't know when it's going to happen here. 
And so I'm sitting there, and then I get called into the youth ministry office, and I'm talking to the two guys, and they're like, hey, Luke, like we do have an offer for you. We weren't able to get as much as we wanted to just because like the budget has been complicated, but this is what we can pay you to be here. And I was honored they offered me the job, but it was a third of what I had thought was going to be, I was going to get. And it wasn't even enough to pay one month of my student loan payment. And so um, they said, we're really sorry. Like we, it's just, it's kind of out of our control. We really wanted to do more, but this is what we can give you. And so I kind of pretended to be excited, but I was demoralized. I just kind of felt like my dream was totally crushed. I was just feeling like I was angry. I, was, I kind of felt betrayed. I knew that it was nothing, no one at the entire organization did anything um, malicious toward me, but I just was feeling that way. And so I just didn't really know what I was going to do. I thought, well, I might have to, maybe I can find a part-time job that can supplement this, but more realistically, I just have to give this up this dream to do ministry, at least right out of college, and go find somewhere else. And so about a week later, my phone rings, and it's Van Cochran, who's the lead pastor here at this church. And at that point in time, I didn't call him Van. I called him Mr. Cochran because he was my, he was Wilson, my best friend's dad growing up. I mean, I was hanging out at Van's house when I was eight. I used to go over there and nothing but my boxers because for a second... That was like the cool thing to do. At least, at least for my brothers and I, we just run around with only boxers on. I don't know why. And so like, this is the guy who's seen that Luke. And now he's calling me. I'm like, what's he calling me for? So I answer it. And he's like, hey, Luke, would you be willing to get together at Panera Bread this Saturday? I'm like, sure. So we meet at Panera Bread. And at this point in time, that thing that I told you that we accidentally started called House Group, there was like 35 people attending it weekly in actually Van and Lori's basement on Friday evenings. So it was really becoming something. And so Van sits down with me and he says, Hey, Luke, I really love what you're doing with this house group thing. I really feel like God is doing something special here. And uh, Vineyard Northwest, we want to fund what is going on here. And so what I want to do is give you a budget for this ministry and give you a salary and bring you on to staff as the director of young adults for Vineyard Church Northwest. And so you would think that I would have been like super excited right away because it was like the answer to my problem. It was everything I ever wanted, but I wasn't. And the reason I wasn't is because I couldn't fathom leaving where I was. I had been there for 13 years. I loved that church and, and I, I just felt, and I felt, I'd invested so much there. I, and that was just, that was the dream. That was my picture to be on staff working with the students. And so I also kind of felt a sense of allegiance and loyalty there. I didn't want to just leave. And I had this like student leadership team where there was like 25 students that I was meeting with weekly and I knew it would crush some of them if I were to leave. And so I told Van, like, hey, man, um, really appreciate it. And what I think I want to do is take what you just told me and go tell the people I'm currently working for that you made me the offer and then see if they want to make me the same offer. And if they don't, then um, I'll come work for you. But if they do, I'm going to work for them. And Van was like, uh, no, that's not how we're going to do it. (laughs) 
And so then Van explained to me, like, hey, I understand your heart. Like, you want to honor and loyal and, and be loyal. Like, that's awesome. But I got to go through a bunch of steps. I got to get my, um, my pack. Like, it's like, I got to get this committee on board with it. I got to get staff on board with it. I got to open up space in the budget. Like, to do all of that legwork and then, <clears throat> and then just to, for it not to happen would not be good for our church. So Van's like, so I'm just going to wait for you to decide what you want to do. Let me know if you don't want to take it. I totally understand. And so I'm really wrestling with this decision, like big time wrestling with this decision. And then I meet with the guy that was discipling me up at Miami. Um, he was, his name was Mark Smith. He was the leader of the navigators there at that time, a college campus ministry. So I'm sitting there with Mark and I'm telling him about it. And he's like, duh, take the job. I'm like, well, I just, I feel like, I don't know if I can do that to these people that I'm working with. Like, I really believe in the vision. I really believe in the cause. And he was like, Luke, let me tell you something. For the last six months, when we've sat down and talked about your life, every time you talk about what you're doing with the students, you are present. You're sharing with me information. Um, you kind of lean back and relax and there's not a whole lot of passion in your voice. But when you start talking about house group, you lean forward and there is something in your eyes and you are animated and you really are just, I can just tell that this is something not only that you are really passionate about, but that God is really anointing you for and breathing on. And so that really impacted me when he said that. And when as we are trying to no longer have a human perspective about things, but have um, a godly perspective about things. When we're trying to look not at just the seen, but the unseen, sometimes we're not going to be able to do it on our own. We need people in our life who, as we're in the struggle, can help us see, hey, no, God is doing this in your life right now. You might not be able to see it, but I know he's doing this in your life. We need those kind of people that can encourage us and remind us to not just look at what's right in front of us. I said, man, that was so impactful on me. So I went to Van and said, hey, I want to take the job. And <clears throat> started here, um, said goodbye to all my students. It was definitely emotional. And that was a little over four years ago at this point. And I, uh, not only was I getting to do something that was really incredible with House Group, but actually at that church, Leadership changed like only a year, like actually right after I left. And within a year, all of the people I was working with with the student ministries had moved on elsewhere. And so I'm looking back on it. And I'm like, wow, if I had stayed there, I probably, one, wouldn't have a job and would have been in the same position I was. Or two, maybe I would have been there, but none of these people that I just kind of felt like this loyalty and allegiance to would have even been there. And who knows if I could have accepted the job that Van offered me a year later. And so as I look back, it was devastating for me in the moment when I felt like my dream had been crushed, but God was doing something behind the scenes that was so much bigger than I could realize. And I want to tell you right now, that whatever you're currently struggling with, whatever feels discouraging, whatever feels hopeless, God is doing so much more behind the scenes than you realize. He is actively working on your behalf. 
He is working in the unseen. You see, we cannot keep just basing our actions and our attitudes on our old human perspective. We have to let go of that and step into the new perspective, which is trusting God more than what we see around us. You see, faith, it's trusting God more than what you see. It's not a denial of reality. It's not saying, wow, this thing that I'm struggling with isn't actually real. This thing that's painful didn't actually happen. It's not denying reality. But it's just saying that, yeah, I see this thing in front of me, but I trust in God's ability to get me through this more than I'm afraid of what this thing is going to do to me. It's having a godly perspective instead of a human perspective. It's focusing not on the seen, but on the unseen. And this is what Jesus was encouraging Peter and the disciples to do. They couldn't imagine how him dying would have been a good thing. But actually, it was the most important thing that Jesus would ever do. So, the next kind of thing that Jesus says after he talks about perspective is he says this. You must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. You must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. We all have dreams. When I was in my early 20s, my dream was to go on tour with the bands I was in. I was in a bunch of um, bands. I was a drummer. And my dream was to go on tour from city to city doing music. But what it means is we had all, we had all these dreams. We had all these goals. We had all these ambitions before Jesus. Or maybe we um, acquired them while we were following Jesus. But... If any of those dreams ever take priority over our relationship with God, those are the very things that God is telling us we have to let go of. And we can tend to hold our dreams tight-fisted like this. Like, I know that I will not be happy if I don't get to do this thing. If I don't get to have this thing, I know I will not be happy. But what God is, what Jesus is saying here. And actually what he goes on to say is that if you try to cling to your life, you're actually going to lose it. Why is that? Because the thing that will give us happiness, joy, and meaning more than anything else is relationship with God. We are designed to experience complete fulfillment and joy in our relationship with God. And no matter how badly we want anything else, It could be anything, no matter how badly we want it. We just weren't designed to experience fulfillment from that thing. We were designed to experience fulfillment from God. And so that's why he goes on to say that if you, uh, what benefit is it if you gain the whole world, but you forfeit your life? Is anything, can you give anything in return for your life? It's that there is nothing that we could do, no dream we could accomplish, no big goal that we could reach, nothing that could compare with our relationship with God and what we experience through that. You see, oftentimes we can fall into the God and trap, as I like to call it. I would just be happy if I had God and a spouse. I would just be happy if I had God 
and a better job. I would just be happy if I had God and more money, whatever it might be. The truth is, we can experience and we are designed to experience complete joy and happiness in our relationship with God. But what it takes is really leaving the old behind, giving up our own way, and stepping into the new. And don't worry, some of those dreams that you've always had in your heart, God's going to give them back to you, the right ones, at the right time. You know, the whole touring thing, I, I never got to tour with those bands, but I've gotten to go to different cities and share at churches. I'll tell you what, I like that way more than I did playing drums. Um, <clears throat> and so he'll give the right ones back at the right time. But all in all, the Christian life, what it looks, what's next after baptism, it's saying to God, Lord, I have all these things that are near and dear to my heart, but I believe that if I just chase after you with everything I am, that I'll get to the end of my life and I'll realize that um, I had made the best use of my life as I possibly could. So let's pray and we're going to move on. Jesus, thank you for all these people that are about to get baptized and we're so excited to celebrate with them. I just ask that you show us where are we holding on to the old too tightly? What is the new that you want to take us into? We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Luke. Hey, let's thanks, Luke, for the message.